Good morning once again, everybody. Good to see you. Glad to have you with us. My name is Alan. I want to start off with a question that I think some of you are going to connect very quickly with, instantly, in fact. Others of you are going to be nudging the person next to you, which is always a great thing to do in church. Always, always a good thing to nudge and say, you better listen to this. And so, so here's the question. Have you ever done anything stupid? <laughs> so some of you are going, yeah, you just, that's my life. Have you, have, have you ever done something where it seemed wise at the time, or at least it seemed reasonable at the time, but then when you look back on it, you think, what was I thinking? How, how did my brain allow that to happen? <laughs> A number of years ago when my wife and I were dating, her family went on a trip to Belize, and they wonderfully invited me to join them. And it was an incredible vacation. It was on a private island. They had a, a, a room at a resort that was on a private island with a private beach. I was a seminary student at the time. I had never seen anything like this, never been on any kind of vacation like this. It was incredible. The very first full day, we went out on the beach to enjoy the sun, and Tammy, my girlfriend at the time, her mom said, Alan, aren't you going to put on some sunscreen? And I said, well, no, I don't. I don't need sunscreen. I, I have never burned. I'm, I'm Canadian, and I, <laughs> I have magical skin. I think there's something about it. It's just, I've never burned. It just doesn't burn, so it won't be a problem. So, so Tammy gets out the sunscreen, puts a little bit on her finger, reaches over and puts a T on my chest for Tammy. And... And so uh, then we stay out all day, and we're just enjoying the sun, going in out of the water, playing, enjoying the beautiful beach. Turns out I don't have magical skin. Uh, turns out uh, all that I have is skin that has never seen the Caribbean sun. So I turned uh, lobster red, except for a white tea on my chest, uh, as evidenced by my bride. Here I am in paradise with this girl that I am madly uh, in love with in this incredible part of the world, and I'm in incredible pain that is self-inflicted and could have been avoided if I had just thought about what I was doing. The next day, we had the opportunity to have paddle boats on this little lagoon that was a part of this private island, and I had to set up this contraption with beach towels that covered every inch of the thing so that, because I couldn't have sun touch any part of my skin because I was just burning red. I mean, just could you imagine this romantic scene with the paddle boat and me with the beach towels all around us? Not cool. Not macho, not magical in any sense of the word or expression. Have you ever done anything stupid? This morning, what we're talking about is the value of stopping and thinking before we speak and before we act. Would you bow your head with me as we head into that? Father, I thank you once again for your grace and your forgiveness that, 
that when we stumble, when we make foolish decisions that are, that are just plain foolish, I think maybe sometimes you smile. <laughs> and other times we make foolish decisions that hurt us, that hurt others, that hurt those we love. And so God, I thank you for your forgiveness with that. And I pray that you would give us some wisdom today as we think ahead on decisions that are upcoming. God, that you would help us to honor you with uh, all that we do and all that we say. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We are in an 18-week journey, journey with the, the journals that we have uh, made and provided, and hopefully you've picked up uh, one of those. But we are, uh, the theme of the whole thing is wisdom, and as we start this off, we're doing a three-week series called Think. We're in week two of that three-week series, and this series is really kind of focused on one verse found in Romans chapter 12. Romans 12 verse 2 says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last week, we talked about the first phrase in that verse, do not conform to the pattern of this world, that there are patterns in this world and people who are wise identify those patterns, identify them, see them, learn them, and make decisions to, to, to avoid some of those same patterns. So that part that we talked about last week is, is really about our, is about our past. It's about patterns that we have seen or experienced or that others have seen or experienced. It's, it's stuff that has happened in the past. And then Paul says, but be transformed. And the transformed part, that, that's, the, that's the future. That's the goal. That's what we're heading towards. We want to be transformed people who are not stuck doing those same patterns over and over again. The transformed pe- per place is where we want to go. And how we get there is the renewing of our mind, which we're going to talk about next week, the renewing of our mind piece. But today, I just want to focus on this here, this transformed section. What does this look like? What does it mean to be transformed? Forgive me for oversimplifying perhaps this morning, but I think spiritual transformation can be summed up in one thing that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. If somebody came up to you and said, what is spiritual transformation? How do you define it? What does that look like in your life. If somebody asked you if you are living a transformed life, how would you respond? How do you know? How, how can we define this? I think it can be summed up in one thing. I'm going to tell you about it in just, just a minute. I've been in full-time ministry for over 25 years, and I've had the privilege of knowing a number of people who have really modeled this. I've seen pictures and had conversations with people who are truly living transformed lives. And then I've also had conversations and prayed with many people who, um, who long for that, who very much want this to be their experience, that we've talked about patterns that they continue to stumble with, etc., and they long for this transformed peace. I believe it can be summed up in one thing that I'm going to tell you about in just a minute. Because I'm not just talking about them. I'm not just talking about my experience with other people. This is my experience as well as I look back on my life that there have been seasons where I have felt great about where I was spiritually 
And then there have been other seasons where I have not felt great about my connection with God, etc. So I know in my own life I've seen how that has gone well at, at times and how it has not gone well at other times. So I think it can be summed up with one thing. Making good decisions. I think spiritual transformation can be summed up with the idea that we are living life making good decisions. In fact, I think one can measure spiritual transformation based on our ability to make wise decisions, to make good decisions. It's that simple that Paul talks about in other writings. Paul wrote here, Romans chapter 12. And in other letters that he wrote in the New Testament, he talks about us deciding between the, the fruit of the Spirit or the uh, 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 natural ways of, of our desires, the desires of the flesh. When we say yes to the fruit of the Spirit and no to the desires of the flesh, then we are living a transformed life. When we say yes to the desires of the flesh and no to the fruit of the Spirit, we are not yet living a transformed life. It simply is about making good decisions. This is so relevant because we make decisions all the time. We make tons of decisions. There was a study that just came out last year estimating that, that, that average people make 35,000 decisions a day. If you, if you take out the sleep time, that's about one decision every two seconds. Right now you're making a decision as to whether or not that statistic is accurate or not. We make decisions all the time, and are those decisions shape us. The accumulation of all those decisions that we are making, take all of those little, medium, large decisions, put all of that stuff together, that is us. That is who we are. That, that is the, the measure, the determiner in terms of how we're doing and how we're doing in our relationships and how we're doing in our relationship with God. Our decisions absolutely shape us. Have you ever heard of a guy named Pontius Pilate? Most of us have. In every part of the world, there are people who have heard of Pontius Pilate, who walked this earth 2,000 years ago. And we, we, we know of who Pontius Pilate is because of one moment, one decision that he had to make. It's part of the Easter story. I want to I read it with you um, today. It's okay to read Easter stories in August. It's okay. It's okay. Matthew chapter 27 is where we find this scenario that Pontius Pilate finds himself in. He's the governor. Verse 15, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 15. It was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who was called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus, the Messiah, over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders 
persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. Set aside the fact that we understand Jesus had to die on the cross. Set aside the fact that this was fulfillment of many prophecies in the Old Testament and that this was all part of God's plan for the redemption of his people. Set aside that for, for just a moment. And imagine being this governor, this man, who is faced with this decision that changed the trajectory of the world. The, it, it, at the, he was the decision maker at the crux of the story of humanity. This decision that shaped the world. It obviously shaped him and his life and the rest of his life. Could you imagine what the rest of his life was like knowing he was the one who had to make that decision? Just imagine how much it shaped him and the reality of, 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 the, of, of how much it shaped his legacy. That this is what we know of him. He, in that moment, he tried to, to avoid the decision. He tried to pass it off by saying, you guys decide. You decide between Jesus Barabbas and Jesus whom you call Messiah. He tried to pass it off. Maybe if he just, if he could do that, he could, he could wash his hands of this decision. And then no one will ever remember or talk about this incredibly difficult decision that he had to make. Isn't that ironic? His actions are evidence that he wanted no one to remember this moment. And this is all we remember of Pontius Pilate. See, we can't avoid the decisions we're faced in life. We can't avoid the big decisions. We have to make them. And living a transformed life means that we consistently make good, wise decisions. Our decisions shape us. They shape the trajectory of our story. I want to share a video here of a, a couple here in our church who had to make a decision. Check it out. Yeah, my name is Gabe Mayorga, and this is my wife, Kristen Mayorga. Uh, we've been married now for 10 years. We met 14 years ago at Lifetime Fitness um, on the crunch machine. <laughs> so initially, I really wanted to go to re-engage, um, and Gabe wasn't really interested. The re-engage commercial came on in church one day, and my wife thought we, we should probably check it out, and I said, uh, we're good. A year goes by, and they're doing the commercial again, and at that point, I had a family member who I thought could really um, take advantage of it. He had mentioned that we should send those people, but I said, well, we can't send other people if we don't know what we're sending them to. Like a good husband, I took her advice and said, yeah, let's do this, kicking and screaming. Not super open-minded. I was a little bummed I was gonna miss Monday Night Football. Like, 
um, the good football fan I am. And once it got started, we realized right away it was something different and special and we could use it too. Even though we thought we had a good marriage, we realized, hey, there's some rocks getting uncovered here. And uh, this class is really cool and different and it's actually a lot of fun. Before joining any church group, I was intimidated and I wasn't sure, I didn't feel like I was churchy enough. Um, but with this, I really felt um, welcomed and I felt safe. Uh, we've gone through some hard times with family members that have been sick and stuff. And that community really has kept us strong. They're at my birthday parties now and barbecues and um, happy hours and, and late night text messages here and there. And who'd have thought at the young age of 37, I'd be making a new set of core friends too. I would say at the beginning when we first did re-engage, we both rated, I think he rated us a seven and I rated us a six. And he was like, oh my gosh, why, why are we a six? We didn't have anything earth shattering that was breaking us apart. And we weren't on the brink of divorce, but I knew we could do better. Now being three semesters in, um, I feel confident on saying we're not perfect, but I feel like we're a nine. Um, we're not that we're the happiest people in the world, but like we're comfortable now having disagreements and asking challenging questions to each other. With those new tools, it's definitely released a lot of stress on our relationship. And we now have more fun in our arguments than actually anger. Because um, we'll laugh and kind of tease each other now with our tools that we have um, for re-engage. God has really become a center of our marriage. Um, honestly say we never prayed together before um, coming to re-engage, but now that is something that happens on good days and on days that are stressful. So now I've uh, missed a couple years of Monday Night Football. I don't really miss it. Um, I, I catch up and I watch Sunday. It's always something that I have a, a little laugh with the guys that are coming for the first time. And I go, hey, look, I know we gave up Monday Night Football, but I promise you, we still got a lot of Sunday football and you're not gonna miss it. You're gonna be sad when this class ends. In hindsight, when Kristen originally wanted me to come to re-engage on Monday nights during football season, and I thought she was wrong, this is one of those rare opportunities where my wife was right. Um, <laughs> she definitely made the rock star decision by continually, continuing to ask me, hey, are you ready to go and re-engage? I think we should try this out. One decision, one decision that mattered, very much mattered to the trajectory of their lives, of their marriage. One decision, do, do I stay committed and watching Monday Night Football or am I gonna be open to this idea from my wife? There's nothing wrong with football. There's nothing wrong with baseball. There's certainly nothing wrong with hockey. <laughs> but sometimes as we're faced with these decisions in life, we encounter decisions that shape us. They're spiritual transformation decisions. Now, not every decision is a spiritual transformation decision. Of all the 35,000 uh, decisions we might make in a day, I would guess very few of them are spiritual transformation decisions. The way, the way I see it, there are three kinds of decisions that we make. Most of them are preference decisions. Should I go down 48th Street? Should I go uh, uh, Chandler Boulevard? Should I get the chicken or the steak? Should I get the blue one or the red one? And, and, and these are preference decisions, and sometimes we get a lot of stress out of preference decisions, the reality of life and making, having to make some of these choices and decisions in life. And we get stressed out about it, but I don't think we're supposed to get stressed out about, about this stuff. Most of our preference decisions, they're just opportunities. They're gifts from God that we get to make such a decision. And so enjoy it. 
Enjoy the decision. Enjoy it as, as a gift, not a burden. And if this morning you're sitting here and you're wondering, you've walked into this room and you're not sure, I'd pick the blue one. Just always pick the blue one, whatever the thing is. Another kind of decision are success decisions. So these matter a great deal from an earthly perspective. These are decisions like, should I go to this college or that college? Should I go down this career path or that one? Should I call that client? What should I say to that client or customer? Uh, what should I say to this person over there? What, should I buy this stock or sell this stock? And these questions, these success questions that determine whether we're going to make more money or, or rise in our company or whatever, these are important decisions to make from an earthly perspective. These uh, shape our finances, and these are a big deal. But most of us put these questions as the most important questions of life so often that we allow these decisions to define who we are. That at the end of a year, these are the questions we look back on and say, what, was, I, was I successful? And these are the questions we often put a whole lot of weight on. But these are not spiritual transformation questions. I, with these, with success questions, absolutely do your research. Don't be lazy. Scripture talks about that. Don't be a sluggard. Do your research. Uh, get wise counsel from other people. And, and then once decisions are made, trust the Lord with that. With pros, cons, good success or not, just trust the Lord with that stuff because these are not transformation decisions. The transformation decisions are the kingdom decisions that we encounter in life. These are the ones that matter. These are the ones that shape your future. These are the ones that, that shape our heart. These are the ones that shape our kids' future. These are the ones that, that, that we will take into eternity with us. These are the ones that, that Jesus is watching very closely and encouraging us as we walk through our lives. Should I post that picture on social media? Should I view that picture that has been posted on social media? Should I be kind to that person in my life that I do not want to be kind to? And I have every reason, based on the world's standards and the world system, to just totally avoid that person. Am I supposed to actually be kind to that person? Am I supposed to live generously when I just feel like I don't have enough? These are the spiritual transformation questions. And what makes them so difficult is that sometimes they actually go in the opposite direction of the success decisions. Sometimes the things that God invites us to, challenges us with, they actually go against some of what the world says. And that's what makes them so difficult. But these are the decisions that really matter. These are the transformation decisions. If you look at Romans chapter 12, how this transformation word shows up, it shows up as a passive verb. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. It's a passive verb. What that means is it's, it's not something that we have the ability to do. We don't just walk away from this and say, okay, I'm going to make better kingdom decisions. When we are transformed, that means we allow God to work 
in and through us. It requires the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It requires Jesus to take up residence in our lives with us in those moments as we are making those decisions. A number of years ago, when um, my oldest was little, I remember reading to him from a book called The Magician's Nephew. I talked about Gordon last week. He's in college now. And when he was little, I would put him on my lap and, and read through the Chronicles of Narnia. This is book one of the Chronicles of Narnia. Book two is The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. C.S. Lewis wrote that book first, but then he, just, he realized he needed a backstory for The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So we went back and he wrote The Magician's Nephew. It's the story of a young boy named Diggory and his friend named Polly. And they're the ones who, who first discover from, from Earth, they're the ones who first discover the magical land of Narnia. They're the ones who first have an encounter with the mighty lion Aslan. They're also the ones who first have an encounter with the white witch. Near the end of this book, the white witch says, Foolish boy, said the witch. Why do you run from me? I mean you no harm. If you do not stop and listen to me now, you will miss some knowledge that would have made you happy all your life. Well, I don't want to hear it, thanks, said Diggory. But he did. It's that temptation of, Okay, that doesn't sound like something I'm supposed to be doing, but I want to know more. See, what's happening near the end of this book is Diggory has fruit from a tree, very similar to the Genesis chapter 2, chapter 3 story. And Aslan wants him to bring that fruit to him. The witch knows the power of that fruit and says to Diggory, you could just eat that fruit on your own and you could, you could be so happy. Diggory avoids that temptation. But then the witch goes much further and says, you know what you could do is take this fruit back to your world, give it to your mom who is dying, and she will be healed. That's the temptation that the witch offers young Diggory. Oh, gasped Diggory, as if he had been hurt, and put his hand to his head, for he now knew that the most terrible choice lay before him. The witch continued to to press and press and tempt and push him and, and entice him and all the while, Diggory is standing there having this encounter with the, with the witch, and his friend Polly is standing right next to him, watching the whole thing happen. And he is struggling with this decision. Do I go against what Aslan has said and take this fruit back and heal my mom who is dying, or can I trust Aslan? Do I still trust Aslan, even with this most horrific of decisions. Diggory finally responds to the witch. Look here. Where do you come uh, into all of this? 
Why are you so precious fond of my mother all of a sudden? What's it got to do with you? What's your game, witch? Good for you, Diggory, whispers Polly in his ear. She hadn't dared to say anything through all the argument because, you see, it wasn't her mother who was dying. So she, she was just standing there, not because she was indifferent or she wasn't interested in what's going on. She realized this was a decision that he had to make. Good for you, Diggory. When I read the us, I'm, I'm 0 for 2 now in services. When I read that to Gordon, he was a little boy on my lap, and tears just flowed down my face as I read that. And I just said, Gordon, you are going to face difficult decisions in life. And I just want you to, to know that when you make a good decision, just imagine mommy or daddy saying, good for you, Gordon. Just imagine Jesus saying to you, good for you. Good for you. You see, Polly standing next to Diggory, she couldn't make the decision for Diggory. She couldn't do that. She had to just stand there. Kristen couldn't make the decision for her husband and drag him to re-engage. She can't, she can't do that. She's wise enough to know that that, does, that doesn't happen. Pilate's wife couldn't make the decision for Pilate. Jesus can't make the decision for you in those moments. He doesn't. That's not the way it works. But when we're faced with kingdom decisions, when we're faced with the reality of transformation moments, I think it's a powerful thing to imagine Jesus saying, good for you. Well done. I'm proud of you. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. And that means that we are consistently making good kingdom decisions as hard, sometimes impossible, as they seem in the moment. It means we're consistently making good decisions. The most important decision we can ever make in life is the decision to follow Jesus. The most important decision. That, that's the fork in the road. That's the decision that chooses the trajectory of the rest of our lives. That's the decision that, that determines the, 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 the trajectory of our eternity is whether or not we choose to follow Jesus. Because we go one way and basically we're saying, I don't really care about kingdom decisions. I'm, I, I care about preference decisions and success decisions. Or the other fork says, Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. So I care very deeply about kingdom decisions. Very deeply. The band's going to come out and they're going to they're gonna just briefly lead us in, in an old song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. And I just want you to, as we're singing this song, I just want you to think about the fact that that we're not just talking about that one decision 
that perhaps you made 30 years ago or five years ago or that you have not yet made, that one decision to follow Jesus. This, this decision, I have decided to follow Jesus, means that we listen to Jesus. We follow his wisdom with every decision. It means every kingdom decision, every transformation moment we have, we say, I'm deciding to follow Jesus in this moment, in this decision. I have decided to follow Jesus in this moment. If you would, would you stand? I want to pray with you, and then we're going to sing this song together. Father in heaven, you know the decisions that we have faced, that we are facing, and that we will face. Father, I thank you that that I stand in a room filled with people who have made difficult decisions, decisions where, where you have whispered, whether we've heard you or not, you have whispered, good for you. Well done. I pray for all who are making decisions right now, God, that you would be with us in those moments, that you would allow us to, to be transformed, God, so that we can make you proud of the decisions we're making. Be with us, guide us, lead us to make decisions that make you proud. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.